I am Ryan, the life changer, and I am so grateful that you decided to join me today. This podcast is called Unlock the Power of Your Mind. Let me ask you a question. Are you ready for your life to change? Are you ready to unlock the power of your mind? Are you ready to be the best version of you possible? I want to help you. I want this podcast to give new positive meanings to the difficult times that you faced in your life. And I want to help you become the best version of you possible. This is your time. The change is happening for you now. I know you're ready. Let's help today to change your life. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining me for another episode of Unlock the Power of Your Mind. I am super excited for our guest today, uh, Ray Digney Navarrete. Ray is a former professional baseball player. He's an entrepreneur and a speaker. He is the founder and creative director for Digme, which is a new lifestyle uh, apparel brand company that recently made its debut in national retailers. Ladies and gentlemen, you may recognize some of these names, Bloomingdale's, Tilly's, and Lids. Uh, Prior to founding the Digme brand, Ray spent 14 years in professional baseball, including some time with the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Houston Astros, and the New York Mets. Ray, I'm super excited to share your journey with the listeners today. How are you, my friend? Um, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. This is uh, this is really an awesome and exciting way to start uh, to start a Monday and to start off a new week. So uh, thank you again for 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 having me and and for um, you know considering me and thinking that uh, I guess my story and journey is somewhat worthwhile for you to share. So thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when I found out that you played some time uh, for for the Binghamton Mets, man, I said, all right, Binghamton is my hometown. <laughs> I've definitely got to connect with this guy. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, so, and listen, what you've been able to build with with the Digme brand is is absolutely incredible. I can't wait for you to share that with the listeners. But let's start out first, so that the listeners can get connected with you. Ray, share with them what a little bit about what your early childhood was like. Did you grow up playing baseball, or what were the early days like? Oh wow, the early days of Ray Navarrete. Um, well, I, I guess uh, it, it's pretty simple, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised in New Jersey, very proud uh, Garden State, Jersey guy. Um, you know, I grew up in Monmouth County, you know, especially my middle school and high school years. I grew up in a small town called Colts Neck, New Jersey. Um, I went to the neighboring high school of Marlboro High School because at the time Colts Neck didn't have a high school. Um, and, and basically, I w- I was a, I'd like to think I was a, a simple young kid. I, I I loved really two things. I absolutely loved hanging out down the shore and hanging out on the boardwalk and going to the beach with my friends and my family. And I absolutely loved the game of baseball. And, uh, you know, I've been playing baseball since, since I've been four or five years old. And, and like a, a lot of young kids, of course, growing up that start in little league, you know, I was convinced that I was going to be a professional baseball player and play, play in the major leagues and, and, you know, do some really great things. And, um, you know, that was really, that was really my childhood. Um, you know, I have a great family, 
a, a big family that have always been very supportive. But for the most part, uh, if, if you were looking for Ray Navarrete and his uh, childhood days, you'd either find him on a baseball field or somewhere down uh, down the shore in Monmouth or Ocean County uh, hanging out with, their, with his friends. Nice. <laughs> I think that that could probably said for, for most people that grew up in New Jersey, particularly down a little bit closer to the shore, right? We, we all spend a lot of time on the beach. Yep. Absolutely. absolutely. Most, I mean, that's one thing I'm most proud of too, is, uh, of course, like I said, you know, anybody from Jersey seems to be proud to be from Jersey, but, you know, being from Monmouth and Ocean County, there's some, there's a direct correlation, you know, especially if you were a boy, uh, a correct, uh, a direct correlation between, uh, the beach and baseball. And, um, I happen to love both and I was lucky enough to be able to spend a lot of time doing both down there. That's awesome. And, and share with the listeners real quick, maybe one of your biggest takeaways that you apply to your life today, Ray, whether it be in business or a personal relationship, that was something that you directly learned um, from your time. Maybe, maybe it was in high school, maybe it was from a coach uh, or an early childhood mentor. What was a life lesson that stuck true for you? Um, I'll tell you what, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get like, you know, too deep or emotional real quick to surprise you. But um, unfortunately, um, I got some sad news over the weekend, a- along with a bunch of my former teammates from Seton Hall University. Um, I had the great opportunity of playing for um, legendary college baseball coach Mike Shepard uh, from Seton Hall University. Um, literally, if, if you know anything about college baseball, um, especially in the 80s and, and 90s and, and early 2000s, uh, during his career, he is he is the true college baseball legend, and uh, not many people have had the privilege to play for him. I was one of them. Um, unfortunately, he passed away this past weekend, and um, you know it has a lot of us thinking about his life and, and the opportunity we had to play for him. And he instilled something in me, um, along with the rest of the program, the rest of the players. Uh, he had a motto. Um, he always said his motto was "Never lose your hustle," and um, he wanted us to. Um, implement that in, in our lives, not just on the field, but also after we left Seton Hall University, whether it be continue, continue to play professional baseball or whether it be in the real world as a business person or as a husband, a father, he would always say, never lose your hustle, no matter what, never lose your hustle. And um, I think to answer your question, um, that is something that I have at least attempted to implement in in everything that I've done every single day. Um, anybody who knows me knows that, you know, I make a million mistakes. I lead the league in mistakes. Uh, you know, I say that all the time as a, as a baseball uh, analogy. But um, one thing I think that I'm really good at and I take a lot of pride in is the fact that um, I keep hustling. You know, I, I just uh, – I keep moving. I keep believing that, you know, if you work hard at something, you can pull something off. And, and I think that uh, – you know, I learned that from my parents as well, but going to Seton Hall and having Coach Shepard instill that, um, instill that in us, but also have that motto, you know, front and center um, in our locker rooms and the dugout. Um, it's something that has stuck with me forever, and I, and I think that I still continue to, to live by that each and every day. So uh, never lose your hustle um, in honor of my Coach Shep. I think that's the answer today. Yeah, well, sorry to hear about your loss. And, and um, you know, I know what it's like to have an important coach figure in your life that can sometimes take that father figure on or at least somebody that yeah. you very much respect in the sense yeah. of all aspects of life guidance. So um, sorry to hear about your loss, but we have an opportunity to, to honor him today yeah, and, yeah. and hearing that message, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, uh, like I said, he lived, he lived a very beautiful life. And, you know, un- unfortunately, that's 
you know, that's part of the gig for all of us. We all have to experience those kind of things. Um, but he lived a great life. And, and you know, I, I think to myself, and I'm sure you have, you know, with, with, with what you're doing here with your podcast, you know, ultimately we want to impact as many people as we possibly can. And, and, you know, when you look at a coach or you look at an educator like teachers or, or anybody for that matter, if you have an opportunity to, to touch or mentor um, young people in hopes that when they grow up, they're going to be the best version of themselves, I think it's just the gift. And um, he was really, really, really good at it. And I think that he's, uh, he'd be pretty pumped up to know that I was, uh, you know, doing an interview this morning and I'm still out there trying to achieve my dreams and, and still hustling. So I'm sure he's pumped up that you and I are getting a chance to talk. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So let's move on from college baseball. Um, you know, di- from the college baseball, were, were you excited? We're looking at a, a big drafting, like share with the listeners kind of what the story was or what the outlook was for you as you started to leave the college ranks and go professional. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to be very surprised with this answer, to be honest with you. Um, you know, not to sound very cliche, but um, I say this all the time. I don't necessarily think I was ever really good at baseball. Um, and I say that kind of in jest. I, I understand that I did very well in high school. And of course I had to, if I was able to get some sort of attention in colleges. Um, but I was never the guy that was like the five to a player. You know, I was never the big time potential draft pick out of high school. Um, I was just the kid that really loved the game. I was a good athlete, but, um, I worked really, really hard because like a lot of people in life, I was told from the get go that I might be too small or too skinny, or I wouldn't be able to hit at the next level. So when I was told that at a young age, I just worked really, really hard to prove those people wrong. And it started in high school and I was, I was very lucky to excel and put up some big years, especially my senior year at Marlboro high school, which is probably what ultimately earned me the opportunity to, to even step foot on the Seton Hall campus. Um, But even there, when I got to Seton Hall, you know, there was no guarantee I was even I was ever going to start a game there, let alone um, you know put up some of the seasons that I did. Um, I was very lucky enough to excel and stand out at Seton Hall University, which has a very very storied history there. Um, the likes of Mo Vaughn and, and Craig Biggio and John Valentin, um, and then of course I got you know I got to that bubble player where professional scouts started talking about whether or not I was draftable. What I, was I good enough? Could I play at the pro level? Um, and that in itself is an accomplishment. If pro, if pro scouts are talking about possibly drafting you, that must mean that you're doing something well. Um, unfortunately for me, enough scouts uh, didn't believe that uh, my ability at the college level in the Big East would translate. So the draft came and went as a junior. Um, the phone never rang. I didn't get drafted. And then senior year, I put up a really big year, and, and our team was just incredible. Incredible. We were one of the, you know we were. At, uh, a 41 season in the Big East, so one of the best teams in the country. And um, I heard rumblings that I was going to get drafted. I believed that I was, and then the draft came and went, and the phone never rang. And uh, it was a pretty disappointing moment because I was convinced I would get drafted at some point. Yeah, um, let's, let's stop there, Ray, because sometimes in life, it doesn't necessarily have to be with sports, but sometimes for, for an entrepreneur, right, they're hoping they're going to get that that big phone call, and, and it yeah. doesn't come. So. Yeah. What actionable strategies can you share with the listeners on how, while as human beings, we're going to experiment, dis, experience that feeling of disappointment, you didn't let it cripple you because you continue to move on. I think that's incredible. So share with the listeners how you did that. Yeah, I mean, um, honestly, I, I don't want to sound like this is like such a layman or very simple answer, but, but it's kind of true. I think each of us, whether it's sports or business or personal, you have a choice. And the choice is if you get a no, um, 
of course, you're going to take some time to feel hurt, to feel disappointed, to, to maybe even just sit on the couch and, and sulk for a little bit. I mean, we're human. Um, but ultimately, you have a choice. You have to say, okay, am I going to listen to the no? Or am I going to pick myself up and say, I'm going to work hard enough to convince them to say yes? Um, and I think that was my game plan. I, when the draft came and went, um, I, I told myself that I was going to play pro ball at some capacity. So I was going to either try out for, you know, go the independent route or do something. And luckily for me, the phone call rang and the Pittsburgh Pirates called and signed me a couple of days later. So my, my answer would be to anybody, whether it's business, academics, like I said, personal or sports, um, some of the most successful people that I have met, have the privilege of playing with or working with, have been told numerous, numerous times no, big no's. Um, and sometimes a lot of us, when we're told no, we just say, okay, and we go a different direction and we kind of listen to, to the no. Um, I think ultimately we, we all have to look in the mirror and say, okay, just because I was told no or that you can't or you won't doesn't necessarily mean that that really is the, the, the final outcome. Um, if we choose to listen to the no, then it will be. Um, I'm just grateful for, for whatever reason, you know, I have it somewhere in me that I'm just allergic to no's. So I would, uh, I would recommend to people that believe in themselves, even if the majority of people don't believe in them, um, get allergic to no. Just <laughs> smile off and, 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 keep, and keep working hard. Um, but I will give a little disclaimer and warning, um, and maybe we'll get into this. If you choose to be allergic to no's and, and, and you're willing to, to keep pushing forward and to keep battling to prove that you're deserving of that opportunity or to earn a yes, um, it's going to be a bumpy road. And it's going to hurt, and there are going to be a lot of tough days and a lot of lonely nights. But um, if you have it in you to keep pushing, you can turn a no into a yes. So uh, to answer your question, I would just say uh, just just get allergic to no's and, and smile and keep pushing forward. Oh, man, that is so, so powerful. I want to repeat back for the listeners what you said because that, that's incredible, Ray. You said, am I going to listen to the no or am I going to – work so hard to get them to say yes. Let's break that down for a second. Am I going to listen to the no? How powerful is that, man? Just because we get told no doesn't mean we have to listen to it, right? No, I, listen, and, and I'm still learning. You know, I, I, I joke around like I'm in like a midlife crisis because I, I still feel like I'm the same, you know, the same age as when I was in my 20s and stuff when I, when I just left Seton Hall. But um, I really do believe this, and I still struggle with it a little bit. Um, if someone tells you no, it doesn't mean that's, that's really the answer. They're telling you no now. They're telling you no for today. They're telling you no because um, it's no at this moment. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the final outcome, but it will be if you choose to listen to it. Um, and I know that life is tough and we have responsibilities and people have to pay bills and take care of friends and family members and you have to do what you have to do. I totally get that. But if each one of us could find a way to keep that goal alive, to keep that dream alive. Sometimes no, sometimes no's are, are the biggest fuel to, to creating a better yes. And um, I, I just think that if you really believe in what you want to accomplish, um, and like I keep saying, just get allergic to no's and smile and, and just push forward and keep working hard until you get your yes, it can happen. Um, but like I said, ultimately it's a choice and, and each of us have to choose whether or not we're willing to go through the long road to get to that. Yes. Cause it, it couldn't, it can be a long road. That is true. 
Yeah. And the working hard part, right? Because sometimes people get told no, but then they're not willing to put in the hard work that it takes to get them to say yes. And obviously that you've exemplified what that looks like in your life. So, yeah, I mean, and and you know, you know, very well, um, and, and this is not at all a jab at anybody, but a lot of people, it's easy to get motivated when you see or you hear your favorite song or you see like a motivational video or, um, or you read a book or, or even a family, family member or friend sit you down over dinner and, and gives you the old pep talk like you can do anything. Um, the, the difference is can you take that motivation and can you commit to the journey of the hard work and can you execute on the plan to, uh, to achieve that goal? And um, that, is not, that is the hard part. And not everybody is built for, for the hard. Um, and I think that it's like being an athlete. You have to train. And if you train enough, um, you can be built for the hard. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, think, uh, I think each one of us struggle with that each day, you know, to choose whether or not we want to listen to no's or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so let's take the next step. You get the call from the Pirates. Now what's going through your mind? Like, were you expecting the call from them? It came out of the blue. Um, share with the listeners what emotions you're experiencing at that point. Yeah, I'll go relatively quickly. Like I said, not getting drafted, I was devastated. Um, one, because I was disappointed. I thought I was deserving, but you know, that's life, that's business. I mean, it happens. Um, and there's just not enough room. There's so many talented people. So, you know, a lot of people forget and a lot of players get bitter, like, oh, why, why didn't I get drafted or why didn't it get to the major leagues? Um, there's just only so much room for each, each athlete or each baseball player to get that opportunity. Um, so I was disappointed. More so, though, not in the, to say I was drafted, but when you commit your life to a sport like baseball, like I did, or to any project, and then all of a sudden it's over, it's sad. It's not just this point. It's like, wow, I can't play baseball anymore. Um, so for me, I think I was most disappointed that, wow, my career's over. I don't get to play anymore. Like, I don't get to do what I love at that level anymore. Um, but then the Pirates called a couple of days later, and uh, it was like a roller coaster. You know, you go from wow, I'm done playing to, I'm getting a chance. And, um, I was pretty pumped, you know, I got a contract and had the Pittsburgh Pirates logo on the contract and I signed it and I was just grateful. And, you know, you hear whispers, you, you know, how long the ladder is. And, um, I would say that the majority of people thought that I would play that summer and get released in the off season. And, uh, I was lucky enough to keep my head above water and, and open some eyes. And, um, my pro career lasted uh, a, a heck of a lot longer than, than I or anyone else probably thought. So um, it was really cool. And I went from being a Seton Hall Pirate to a Pittsburgh Pirate for the next five and a half years. And um, it, was, it was a really dope experience. I'm grateful for it. Yeah, that, that's cool. You got to kind of keep, keep the same, yes. same name in a sense, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah absolutely. And so 14 years, obviously, it's hard to kind of condense that down into a short period of time. But, Ray, if there was a few – different uh, moments that stuck out in your mind, maybe an emotional, um, uh, you know, an emotional high low where you were able to recenter yourself and then overcome to keep moving forward. What would you say was probably the pinnacle of that for you in your professional baseball career? Um, I'll give you, of course, I'll give you a high. Um, I showed up, I signed, I put together a, a good couple of uh, years and surprised everybody and, and was competing against some of the best players in minor league baseball and the top round draft picks and, and really holding my own. Um, it eventually earned me enough of, of uh, attention where I was um, included in some major league, uh, major league uh, spring training games in 2003. I was, you know, 
going up and down between minor league camp and major league spring training. I was with the, you know, the superstar guys in the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I had an opportunity to play in four major league spring training games, um, one of which was against the New York Yankees, where, you know, literally I'm in the dugout, and then I'm on the same field with the likes of Derek Jeter and, and Bernie Williams and, and all those kind of guys. And I even get an opportunity to uh, to get an at-bat in that game, and I faced uh, Hall of Fame pitcher Mariano Rivera. So, um, you know, that was, uh, to me, that moment was – it was just a testament to all the hard work and all the years and sacrifice that I put into the game. It was pretty cool to say at least at one moment in my life, I was on the same field as at the time, you know, the greatest team in baseball and, and that had, you know, many numerous future hall of famers. Um, and then on, you know, the other side of the spectrum, I've also been released. You know, I, I was traded to Houston. I got released by the Astros. I signed with the New York Mets, which was another super high um, to put on a uniform of the team that I rooted for as a kid. Um, I was released by the New York Mets and, and that was a super low point. And then uh, to end my career, I found a home playing for the Long Island Ducks where um, for eight years, I don't know how this happened, but I kind of turned out to be, you know, their main, their main player and, and uh, part of the face of that franchise, at least player-wise, and I had a lot of success and I had an opportunity to play for the likes of Buddy Harrelson and Gary Carter and win championships and do cool things. So um, professional baseball, as, uh, as one of my greatest coaches told me, is like a microcosm of life. You know, you're going you're gonna to feel like a champion on, on, on a few days. You're going to feel like just defeated on a lot of other days. And, and somewhere in the middle, you got to find a way to smile, uh, you know, throughout the whole ride. So um, 14 more years than I ever thought. And it really was, uh, it really was one of the greatest rides I've ever had. Yeah, that's an incredible attitude and way to look at it. So, right, let's take a step back. Maybe for some of the listeners, it's not a sport. Maybe it's they got a new job opportunity or maybe they're excited for, for a new relationship, but they had come from a relationship that didn't end maybe the way that they had hope or expected it to, or they're starting a new job, but they were they were fired from their last job and they, they felt like, you know, maybe that was an injustice done to them. Talk about how you were able to bring the correct mindset in to these new teams that you were playing for, even though it was coming off of a, of a disappointment from the previous team. Yeah, um, that, that actually is a great question because you're right, it applies to anything, you know, when you're changing a job or if you're a student and you, let's say your family moves to a new town or a new state and you have to, you know, go to a new school. Um, I always looked at it like this and it was nerve wracking at times, but I always looked at it like, it was another opportunity to, um, to start like painting your canvas, you know, yes, maybe the ending of the previous relationship or the previous team, um, or the previous school may not have ended the way you wanted to, but every time you walk into a new office or a new school or a new clubhouse, uh, to play for a new team, you have an opportunity to be a better version of yourself. You have an opportunity to, to, um, get better grades in school. You have an opportunity to be a better teammate or to be a better player and, or both hopefully, um, you know, and you have an opportunity to, to be a, a, a better friend or a better partner. Um, so that's how I always looked at it. I mean, you know, I'd like to think that there are some things that I do really well in life. And, and I also am very well aware there are a lot of things that I'm not really good at, or, you know, there are a lot of dents in my armor. Um, but as I got older, especially through my pro career, um, I think I got better at some things. You know, I, I think I handled myself a little bit better in my 30s than I did when I was playing baseball in my 20s. And that's not to say that I, I um, you know, that I didn't have a lot more room to improve on those kind of things, too. Um I just think that if anyone out there is listening and they're going through some sort of transition, whether it be work, personal, or athletics, um, 
just remember this. If someone hires you um, at any level or position, it's good to be wanted. It's good to have an opportunity. Um, if you're about to jump into a new relationship, it's really good to know that someone is interested enough to give you their time. And if there's a team out there that puts you on their roster, um, whether it's a teenager playing travel ball or an adult playing professional baseball, um, there are hundreds of thousands or millions of people that would love to have that roster spot. So, you know, I would say just, just be grateful for the opportunity to, you know, clean off that canvas and start painting all over again. And, and um, you know, every time you, you step foot in one of those opportunities, you know, you have an opportunity to be better than, than you were the last time. Absolutely. 100%. So the professional career um, comes to an end for you. Did you have a vision in your mind, Ray, of, of where you wanted to go next? Or what is kind of your outlook as your professional career is wrapping up? Yeah, you know, one thing I think, um, like I said, one thing that I knew from the beginning was, and sometimes I joke around, I kick myself, um, I always choose to do the difficult things. Um, you know, like, for example, you know, attempting to get to the major leagues is is uh, an opportunity that not many people can do. So, of course, you have to take it. But, you know, there are some downfalls to that, you know, a, a player who doesn't get an opportunity probably gets to jump into the real world at 22 or 23 and put in their time and, and uh, you know, get a career and build a career now that when, you know, they're in their thirties and forties, they have established something. Um, you know, I went and played baseball and then when I retired, I decided I didn't want to do anything with baseball. You know, a lot of people asked me if I wanted to coach, if I wanted to get into a major league organization and start in the minor leagues and start coaching and maybe build a career doing that. I had no desire or ambition to do that. I had the same, uh, I had the same lack of desire and ambition to do it at the college level. Um, I always wanted to build my brand. Um, I just wanted to build Digme. I wanted to do it more so not to make clothes only, which I, I am into. Um, but I wanted to build a brand that would help to motivate and inspire people to embrace who they really are, to, to be proud of their personality, to, uh, to go out there and try not to fit in and, and really stand out um, being who they are. And at the same time, while they were doing that, possibly, you know, wear some really cool clothes and accessories that, that myself and our team are making. So I knew when I retired, I said, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to take a chance here. This is crazy, but I'm going to try to build my business. And um, I retired in 2013. I jumped into dig me full time um, in 2013. Um, we've been going hard now for five years and um, I'm proud of a lot of things that we've accomplished, um, but we have we have such a long way to go. We're still tiny, but um, like I told you earlier, I believe that uh, you know if uh, if we stay allergic to the nose and, and we keep working hard, we'll be able to get our yes down the road. So um, to answer your question, um, I went from baseball to, to building a brand. This is my passion, and um, I'm hopeful that uh, my perseverance will pay off, and we'll be able to uh, get this thing to where I think it can can get to one day. Yeah, I'm confident that you will, especially staying allergic to the nose. I love it. Now, did you already have this concept in your head, uh, you know, from college? Was it professional? Like, when did you come up with the concept of, of Dig Me? Um, it's a funny story. I, don't, I won't take up too much time. I mean, bottom line, this is my nickname. So Digny was my nickname. I was, uh, I was playing in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization in 2003. Um, some of my major league teammates and guys that were like, you know, the superstar guys that were awesome. Um, they noticed that I would show up to the clubhouse or, or, or the facility every day with a different hat on and a colorful pair of sneakers and a backpack. And, um, ironically, I still, I still dress like that today. Um, <laughs> and, and, 
they started calling me Ray Digney and they didn't call me Ray Navarette. And at first I thought they were like, Oh my God, they must hate me. Why aren't they using my real name? And it turned out that, uh, you know, they liked me as a person, which was nice. They liked my style. And, you know, in, in sports, a lot of times, a lot of people get nicknames and, and that just happened to be mine. And, um, I started to pick up on the fans in the minor league cities, loving the nickname. And in 2004, I, I took my nickname, uh, and put it on a t-shirt. And then uh, a couple of my teammates were like, I want a t-shirt. I want a t-shirt. And, uh, and off to the races, I made one, I made two, I made five. And then, um, I told myself that I wanted to be a, a fashion designer, a brand builder. Um, so that really was how Digney was born. Um, although I claimed that it was a business back then, you know, I, I realized the hard way that, trying to attempt to get to the major leagues and putting in 10, 12, 14 hour days as a baseball player and then going home and putting one or two hours, uh, starting a new fashion apparel brand. That's not a business that was more of a glorified hobby. So, um, although we, we, uh, we built a great story and got some really cool content during my playing days and got a nice little base of people that love what we were doing. We really didn't turn into a business until 2013, 2014. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, yeah. So that was really the birth. You know, Digney was born in 2003, 2004 uh, when we made our first shirt, but the business really didn't start, um, you know, uh, really uh, didn't start developing until about, like I said, the 2013, 14, early 2015 time. And I wanted to, I wanted you to share that with the listeners. I know we're, we're about to wrap up here, but I wanted the listeners to hear that, Ray, because it's important to, for, for them to understand, like, you don't have to wait for things to be absolutely perfect um, to start your business. You could start with like Ray with one shirt and one shirt turns into two and two shirts turns into five. And, and now Ray's in, in Bloomingdale's. Um, and I just think that that's such a powerful message for, for people to understand, Uh, start with where you are, with what you have and, and allow it to grow along with a ton of hard work, of course. Yes, yes. And I'm glad you brought that up. And if this is part, you know, part of the way we're going to end, I really hope that anybody who's kind enough to listen to this episode um, will listen to this because I I could attest this. Um, You are absolutely right that you do not have to wait to be perfect or the perfect time or the content has to be perfect or your first t-shirt has to be perfect. Um, you really, you just need to start. And I've learned that the hard way myself. I'm, I'm such a perfectionist. And I look back, I just want to give you a quick example. In 2012 uh, was one of my last seasons playing. And I knew that 2013 was going to be my last year. I actually started writing a blog and I wanted to start writing blog articles weekly or maybe even, you know, twice a week. And, uh, I wanted to let people see my, my journey of ending my career. And then also what Digby was up to. And for whatever reason I stopped, whether it was because I was so busy still working out playing baseball and trying to build Digby, I just stopped. And I think to myself now, because I've been diving into more social media content, um, and trying to get back into blogging and putting up videos that if I would have just kept blogging in 2012, where would that blog have led or where would that blog be today? And um, I'm disappointed I didn't keep going. So for anybody who's listening, you are 100% right. Um, Just start producing stuff. Just start creating stuff. Yes, it's going to be ugly. Yes, your friends are going to make fun of you. Yes, nobody's going to read it at first. Um, But then in three, five, 10 years, everyone's going to be pumped up when they said, oh, I read that first article or I have that first t-shirt. I have people that tell me all the time that they still have the original Digme t-shirt. And that means- Yeah, that that means the world to me. I know there's like only a handful of those people out there. Um, But for all of your listeners, um, if if this interview gives you anything, I would tell you to join me in just starting. 
just put it out there. It was one of my quotes I put on social media uh, last week, my tip for on like Tip Tuesday, I just said, just put it out there and um, hopefully you'll follow me as well and you're going to be noticing. I'm going to start writing more blog articles and I'm going to put up more videos and, and I still have no idea what I'm doing, but I realize that if you continue to do it, um, you'll get better at writing, you'll get better at video, you'll get better at social media and, uh, and you're never too old to start. So uh, just, just put it out there. That's, that's my recommendation. Yeah. Love it. So like when you got, we'll, we'll kind of dive into now dig me and, and what is next in the future for dig me. But like, were you sitting in the, in, in the meeting with Bloomingdale's like share with the listeners kind of what that's like. You find yourself now sitting in the room with Bloomingdale's one of the largest, oldest retail companies, um, you know, in, in the United States. What's going through your head as you're sitting in that meeting with them? Um, I can tell you. I can tell you quickly. You're right. Uh, to answer your question, yes, yes, I was literally in a meeting with Bloomingdale's. Um, it took us quite some time to get the attention. You know, Digme and, and our team. We have such a great team. So for anyone listening, please follow us on social media. You'll get to meet some of the other guys. I, I you know, the the platforms always showcase the the people that are involved. We have a, a close knit team of about five or six of us. Um, we attended all the trade shows where the buyers from all the retailers come and, and like anything, you know, we were ignored the first two, three, four shows. And then um, eventually people start to notice that we were still there and that our booth was awesome. And our, you know, our product, apparently when they came by to say hello, they loved it and they loved the story. Um, so it landed us a, a presentation meeting with Bloomingdale's. And um, I remember I, uh, I was preparing for it the night before I packed up, I had to pack up like a, uh, a presentation, like a, a showroom box of our samples and I literally headed into New York City, the Big Apple, and I strolled into their corporate offices and they brought me upstairs and I saw my lanyard with my name tag and it said Ray Digme Designer and uh, I walked into one of their, their big offices with, with, uh, with their head buyers and um, walking through the hallway, you see all the brands like Calvin, you know, Calvin Klein and Tommy and, and all those other brands that they carry and I'm just like, wow, this is crazy that we're even here. And uh, we walked in and, and I told the story and I showed them our samples and uh, I told them, you know, what our mission was and what our, our vision was for the brand. And uh, I guess you can say the meeting went well. And, and a few days later, we got our first purchase order. Um, it was an incredible feeling, you know, very similar to working out um, in front of a major league scouting team. You know, there's your opportunity. You got to perform. You got to give them a reason to believe that you're, you would be an asset. Um, and uh, I think we did enough of that. And, uh, we got our purchase order and less than a year later, we made our debut in the spring of 2017. And not only were we in, um, you know, certain Bloomingdale's, but they put us on 59th street in Lexington. That's their flagship store. So myself and the team, we had an opportunity to literally head into the big apple and we walked into Bloomingdale's on 59th and Lexington. And there was our collection of dig me t-shirts. Um, and I, I said it that night and I'll say it for the rest of my life, whether or not we ever, uh, we ever get back into Bloomingdale's, whether or not, we turn out to be the, the biggest brand in the industry or, or not. Um, no one will be, no one will ever be able to take that away from our team. And um, it w it was really, it really was incredible experience. Yeah, that's awesome. I was just going to ask you how much of a parallel was there as you're getting on the elevator to, to you know, go into the um, meeting with Bloomingdale's versus that feeling that you get, you know, maybe walking out of that locker room um, in, in spring training, knowing that you're going to get to step on the field with Derek Jeter and get a hit off of Mariano Rivera. Was it, was it kind of a similar feeling for you, Ray? 
Yes. Well, real quick, I just want to make this clear, just as, just so every all the listeners, I um I did get a chance to hit against Mariano, step in the box against the greatest closure in the world. I did not get a hit. I can't ever claim that, but I will okay. tell you this: I'm a proud guy from Jersey, and you know we like to be tough, especially when we play baseball. I will be able to say that uh, I didn't strike out against Mariano Rivera, which is kind of cool. Because okay. um, <laughs> he yeah, struck yeah. out a lot of people for our yeah. listeners that are familiar with baseball. Yeah, yeah. And he broke a lot of bats. But, um, yeah, to answer your question, you know, walking into that Bloomingdale's meeting um, what is very similar to a lot, of the, a lot of experience I had in baseball. You know, um, whether it be when you showed up for your first spring training. You know, I remember my first spring training with the Pittsburgh Pirates and seeing 175-plus guys in the same uniform and, you know, taking a deep breath and saying, how in the world am I going to stand out? It was very similar to when I walked up, uh, up in the Bloomingdale's offices in New York City and seeing all the big brands that I'm so used to seeing and saying, how in the world is Digney going to close this deal, you know, with all these other brands? Um, I've always said this. My journey in baseball is very similar to Digney. Um, you know, against all odds, you, you have to prove to people that um, are big believers in other players that have already established themselves that you're good enough, that you can compete or that you can hold your head above water and, and hang with those guys. Um, I think the hardest thing is earning the opportunity. And then once you get there, if you perform, then it's, you know, then it's an even playing field. Once you perform, everyone believes in you. The hardest thing is convincing people to believe in you before you have no numbers. Um, so, yeah, you know, going into that Bloomingdale, Bloomingdale's office is very similar to my first spring training in, in, with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, staying confident, keeping a smile on your face, you know, um, showing positive vibes in that meeting and, and all the while knowing you're, you're super crazy nervous on the inside, um, but you still have to perform. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful message, right? You're you're in spring training. You're against 175 other professionals vying for the same spot as you. You're yeah. walking into Bloomingdale's. You're amongst the likes of Calvin Klein and all of these big retailers that are yeah. doing or trying to do the same thing as you. And so many times in life, I think that we can't, and I've been guilty of it at times too, where we look around at everybody else and, and maybe we, we compare ourselves or we think, oh, I'm not, as, I'm not as tall or I'm not as strong or I'm not as good looking or I'm not as smart. Yeah. And sometimes we can put ourselves at a disadvantage before we ever step out on the field, before we ever step into the meeting, before we ever um, go on that first date. So what, what advice do you have for the listeners on how they can have the confidence and the belief in themselves like you did when you were playing professional ball or, or going into that meeting? Yeah, um, that, that's, it's a great question and great point. And, I, and I'll start by saying this. Um, you know, I, I, I struggle with this as well, too. I think we all do. I think anyone who doesn't admit this is probably, you know, probably not telling the truth. Um, in baseball, um, I have a lot of friends that are still playing professional baseball. I have a lot of friends that are coaching at the pro level, the college level. Um, and then, of course, people that are entrepreneurs and business people. It's very hard not to look at somebody in your industry who looks like they're absolutely dominating or they're killing it or everything's going great. And you sit back and you're like, how come my brand isn't as big as their brand? How come, how come my brand isn't selling as many units? How come that coach is winning more games? How come that player has 20 home runs and I have none, right? Um, you're absolutely right. Sometimes it's us that's really shooting ourselves in the foot. And what I'm learning now as I'm trying to re-energize and revamp our Digby project and, and take it to the next level is um, there really is enough out there for all of us to win. There's enough out there um, for all of us to succeed. And if you just focus on you, or if you just focus on your pro on your product, um, on your story, 
that's what's the most compelling. That's how you're going to land the job. That's how you're going to sell the product. Um, that's how you're going to earn the opportunity. Um, I think a lot of times we're all guilty of comparing ourselves to um, the other baseball player, the other coach, the other brand, the other good looking person, the other person who is big and strong in the gym, um, where we really just need to look in the mirror and say, okay, how in the world am I going to be and build the best version of myself? And I'm learning that every single day and um, I'm trying to get better at it. Um, I think it's starting to work. I think I'm, I'm, I really have learned a valuable lesson that there, there's enough pieces of the pie for everybody to eat and, and succeed and make money and give back. And uh, I, I just think it's perspective. Once you start realizing that it really isn't you versus them or you versus a certain somebody, your brand, it's you versus you. Um, I think that's when you start seeing the most progress. Yeah, you versus you and that there's an abundance of, of opportunities out there yeah. as long as you stay focused on the abundance instead of the, the comparison. So yeah. love it. So share with the listeners what's next for DigMe and how they can learn and get connected more with your with your brand, Ray. All right. What's next for what's next for Digme? What's uh, what's on deck for the guy in the tie? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, yes. On deck for the guy in the tie. Hopefully, it's a very, very, very fun and exciting summer. Um, we we always have some really cool projects because we're still we're still very small, although we have big dreams. Um, so we can still do a lot of organic events. We have a lot of pop up shops. Um, you know, for example, we'll we'll find a town or a city um, and we'll literally show up and rent out a vacant store and decorate and design it and bring product and, and stay for a day or two or the weekend and then pack up and leave. So we, uh, we have a, a summer and fall 2019 uh, Digby pop-up shop tour that we're finalizing here with the team in the next few days. So you'll want to follow us on social media to find out what cities and towns that uh, we'll be stopping by. Um, we also have some plans to visit some of our pro athletes that are both in the minor leagues and major leagues throughout the course of the major league season um, to go see them, to get them some Digby, but to do some really cool um, content projects. We're going to do some really cool uh, interviews and video content showcasing those athletes to tell the Digby story. Um, we're also working, um, we're also working with uh, our video and film part of our team um, about putting together uh, our first Digby documentary. We're going to go back over 10 years and we're going to start interviewing um, people that have been with us from the beginning, people that are still part of our team, people that have been the heart and soul of our team, but have left because um, they have, pursue their dreams. So we're going to work on a Digby documentary uh, with the goal of releasing that in the winter of 2019. Um, so we can share so that people that become fans of our brand, they'll be able to see the story from the very beginning. Um, and the first t-shirts to, to landing all the way in Bloomingdale's and then overcoming obstacles after Bloomingdale's and Tilly's and, and, and hopefully showing our growth. So um, we have a lot of really cool, exciting uh, projects that are very, very organic. Like I said, we're still very small. Um, we believe we have the opportunity to be very big. Um, so we're hopeful that everybody will, uh, will give us a chance and they'll follow us on social media. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Digme. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Digme Nation. Um, and then, of course, if anybody just wants to, to really find out, maybe a heads up before we post stuff on Digme, what we're doing, you could always follow me um, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ray Digme. Um, we appreciate any support and interest. Uh, you know, like I said, we're hustling hard and we're, we're trying our best to, to grow this brand to where we, we think we can get to. Awesome. And for the listeners, how did they, how did, how did those pros spell your nickname? My nickname? Yes. Uh, all you gotta do is go to Google. Dig me. D I G M I D as in David. I G as in Greg. M as in Michael. I dig me. Um, it's not the two words, D I G M E. Um, yeah. although that's, 
dope too, but the brand name is uh, Digmi, D-I-G-M-I with an I, um, because when we started this many years ago, we wanted this, we wanted this brand to be about the person and their personality and, and, and their ability to chase their dreams. So, um, so that's it. But we got some really cool hashtags, you know, you just hashtag Digmi, hashtag uh, the guy in the tie. Live Dream B is our slogan. Live Dream B is equivalent to our "Just Do It" like Nike has, um, and then uh, and then of course our slogan is uh, another one of our slogans is "Tip Your Cap" because basically, uh, of course, our logo is a silhouette of a dapper dressed guy tipping his cap. But the "Tip Your Cap" campaign and slogan um, basically, we we just want people to to acknowledge other people that are doing great things. We want, we, we want to, we want people to encourage other people to chase their dreams. And, and if someone accomplishes something great, if someone has a great performance, if someone um, does something great at work or, or uh, wins an award, you know, it is okay to acknowledge them um, for their accomplishment. I think we live in a, in a, in a time where it's so easy to, um, to degrade someone else or to come up with an excuse as to why someone accomplished it. You know, sometimes, sometimes somebody just worked really hard and they deserve what they're getting. And, um, I think it's, it says a lot and it shows a lot if we have, um, the courage to acknowledge that and, and the way that we acknowledge people for their great performances is by tipping our caps. So, um, we're hoping that our brand will be able to, uh, to, to convince more people that, encouraging and supporting one another is just the, just the right way of doing things. Yeah. I'm with you hundred percent. Well, uh, I want to encourage all of our listeners to go check out Ray, um, and, and his brand. So the Instagram at Ray Digme, D I G M I, and then his brand at Digme on Instagram, uh, and, uh, Digme nation on, on Facebook, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Ray, thank you so much for your time today, man. Uh, I love how there are so many parallels between your journey in your, your baseball career and your professional career now with, with Digme as, as the Thai guy that, that you say. I like that. I think it, it really resonates with a lot of people and that sharing this story is going to encourage and inspire so many people. So thank you for your time today. No, listen, thank, thank you so much for your time. I, you know, I, I've become a fan of what you're doing and, and, and I know the likes of the people that you have interviewed. Um, so for, for you to give me a few minutes, this means the world to me, especially since I'm, I've jumped into the world of podcasting and speaking myself. Uh, you know, I look forward to, to listening to, to what you're doing and, and learning from you um, moving forward. So super, super thank you for, for your time and your interest and support. This was, a, this was an awesome way to start a Monday morning. I wish all Mondays could start like this. <laughs> Me, me too, my friend. Well, listen, ha- have a great day and uh, definitely excited to see where you're going to take the Digme brand. I know that you guys are destined for big things. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much again. All right, guys. Remember, Digme, live, dream, be. Love it. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast today. My prayer is that it has helped to change your life, to make a positive impact in your life. And I just want to let you know that every single day, the first goal that I write down is I have changed 1 million lives. So ladies and gentlemen, if this podcast helped to change your life today, I would ask you to please go on to iTunes, rate, review and share this episode with somebody else who you know will benefit and have their life changed thank you again so very much it means the world to me go out there and be great today make a positive impact in the world